Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. If you have the time, you can not only listen to the episodes, but you can also watch all the shows and you'll find the links in the description below. Thank you. The Tim Hill Podcasts. Ordinary people's extraordinary stories. Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to have a chat with Sarah. Sarah's going to tell us all about her life. So, Sarah, if you could tell me when and where you were born, if you can describe to me what it was like where you grew up, the schools you went to, and the education that you received. So, get off the bus and get on with it. Yes, of course. <laughs> So uh, I was born in 1990 in a small town called Cumberland, Maryland. Um, So for your listeners, Maryland, it's, it's a panhandle state. And I was born in the very, the smallest part of the panhandle. So within 15 minutes, you can get to West Virginia. And within 15 minutes, you can get to Pennsylvania. Um, very small town. Its nickname is the town, the city of steeples. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of religion based, uh, people here. And there's a lot of, um, well, I'll get into that more in just a minute, but yeah, so I was born in the small town of Cumberland, Maryland. And growing up here, um, there's a lot to do outdoors, but there's, there was a lot to do. There wasn't any, um, much besides that because it's very rural. Um, and I, uh, went to private elementary school. I went to Catholic school and then went into public education after that. So public for middle school and high school. And, um, yeah, growing up, it was definitely, I think more simple than a lot of different places, like a bigger city. We did a lot Mm -hmm. of like backyard spotlight tag and that kind of thing growing up in my neighborhood. Um, but yeah, just a nice small town in Western Maryland. Um, and then after, uh, graduated from high school, I went to college at Shepherd University, photography and graphic design. Whoa. (laughs) We're not even two minutes in when you got to university. Come on, get with the program. (laughs) Sorry. Let's drag you you right back. Let's, Let's have a look at what your kindergarten was like. Can you remember that far back? Oh man. Um yeah, I mean I I it was I mean I had a good I had a good elementary school experience. Um mm. I definitely struggled a little bit with, uh, I was always kind of an outcast. So I struggled a little bit in elementary school. We would have, uh, I don't know if your listeners know a lot about, uh, Catholic, Catholic elementary school, but you have to wear a uniform and there were certain days of the month. There would be like one day that you could come in and, and you'd pay a certain amount so that, and that money would all go to a charity and you could wear whatever you wanted. And, um, I always chose to wear like my dance outfits. So when most of the kids were in like blue jeans and t-shirts instead of their uniforms, I would come in in like a full dance garb, um, fluffy dresses and whatever the most ridiculous outfit that I could wear. So I've always been, um, slightly, slightly, uh, different, and uh, exuberant, um, but yeah. So, so that's kind of how my ele- elementary school was like. So, was it was it run by nuns or uh, and a priest, 
or uh, was it a mixed no, call? Um, was, it, was it just girls? Let's go ahead. So it was mixed, and I have a nun as a as a principal, but not all of my teachers were nuns. Hmm. So, what was your favourite subject? Probably, it was science. Always science. Science has always been my favourite. Ah. So, which elements of science did you that, that really gripped you? What What was was it the, the physics side of it? Was it the uh, um, what's the other sides of science? I can't remember that far back. <laughs> Honestly, it was like the environmental side. No, it was definitely, it was definitely more the environmental side. So like environmental science always interests me. And I actually thought in my, in my younger years of, of high school and elementary or in in middle school, I thought about going to school for environmental science because I've always been um, very interested in um, protecting the, protecting the, the, the planet and um, learning more about where we live. And so that has always been a favorite part of science. I did a lot of environmental camps um, growing up in elementary school. Um, one of the camps I went to in middle school, I we would like dissect um, owl, owl, I, f- I think they're owl. That's the thing. It's whenever I vegetate. So you can actually dissect that and see what animals they had been eating. So in, L- or in middle school, that's what I was doing for the summers. Instead of like going to the pool or any other type of camp, I was dissecting these these owl pellets and seeing what they ate, which was mostly mice. Hmm. Sounds like a fu- lot of fun. Hmm. I'm not sure where, the, where it's something I'd like to do. <laughs> owl pellets. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's really interesting. It's one of those things that it taught you. It, it gave you an appreciation, though. You know, it gave you an, an appreciation for life and, and seeing um, what others would eat. And, um, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fair one. So... What was your worst subject then? Which one did you not like going into? Oh, math. Horrible. Horrible at math. <laughs> <laughs> so you're either you're either good at it or you you just hate it. So but maths is really important because yeah. um, without without a basic knowledge of maths, you can't work out how much change you're getting in when you go to the shops. And that's the important bit. Make sure you get the right Very thing. true. So there was one math that I was really, really phenomenal at. Um, I did I, I did a really um, yeah, so I wasn't, I, I definitely wasn't my, my favorite subject, but got through it, got through it. Fair one. So, so you've got enough points to sort of graduate elementary school in. So moving up, <laughs> yes. um, what, what about your junior high school? How, how did you get on there? Um, again, total outcast, total outcast, but, um, you know, just kind of kept myself through, through middle school. Um, so 
growing up, I always kind of knew there was something a little different about the way that um, I felt about people. And um, I have I've been gay my entire life. However, I suppressed that because of where I grew up. So by middle school, I had kind of started to like understand those feelings a little bit more. However, there wasn't anyone that represented the gay community in my small town. So um, middle school was a little awkward because that's when a lot of people start dating and like just little dates going to the movie theater together. And I, I really never had a whole lot of interest in that. And so pretty early on, I, um, I knew that something was different and I couldn't really like put my finger on it. I just knew that I wasn't interested in the same thing that my classmates were. So you didn't constantly talk about boys then? Yeah, no, no, I had no interest in talking about boys. (laughs) (laughs) So, so in your middle school, then I guess that's when you start looking at things like um, playing a, a musical instrument and, and doing theatre studies and continuing on with your sciences and stuff like that. Yep. So, uh, and your English literature. So, which way did you go? full band. I was in, uh, I was in band. So I played the saxophone. Um, I started with a flute. However, there were so many, there were so, yeah, but there were too many people in band playing flute. So, uh, and I was very bad. I was a very bad flautist. So, uh, they gave me a decision. They were like, listen, you either need to choose a new instrument or you need to leave band. So I was like, all right, well, I want to stay in band. So I chose the tenor saxophone, um, which at that time there was only one other person in band that played that. So I chose a tenor saxophone and started playing saxophone in middle school and, uh, enjoyed it a lot more than the flute. So I actually became much better at, at playing an instrument through that process. But yeah, so I did, um, I did theater a little bit, but, uh, I really, from the time I was three until the time I was like 16, I did ballet and tap dance and jazz. So I danced most of my like childhood and teenage years. Yeah. The ballet side of it. I mean, I, I love going to the ballet. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think my favourite ballet is probably the Nutcracker, and that's traditionally done at Christmas. And uh, yeah, I enjoyed enjoy that. Did you ever get to that sort of standard where you, where you put on uh, a ballet? So our shows were a little different like a full ballet our shows were normally we would have it would be like entire showcase all the different dances so um year you do you'd get on stage for three minutes you know for each of your your different types of dance so i would do a ballet dance and then go change into a tap outfit, and then we do a tap dance and then we go change into our jazz outfit so each year i was doing like three dances to three minute songs that we had rehearsed for the past few months so we never i never did like the formal ballet 
ballet training. Um, quite honestly, I was terrible at ballet as well. Um, <laughs> my mom always said I shook my butt too much and I smiled. She's like, you were having the most fun up there, but you definitely like, I was not, um, a very structured ballerina. So I, I, uh, I liked to move around a little too much and I didn't have the, I would say I didn't have the poise, the poise of the other ballerinas. Uh-huh. So, uh, did not, yeah, definitely did not do with the traditional sense of ballet. So did you get on with point or not? I did. I did do point. Um, lost one of my shoes during a performance once. When I say I was a bad ballerina, I was a really bad ballerina. Um, yeah, I kicked it right off during a dress rehearsal. Kicked my shoe right off. And I was just like, I don't think that's supposed to happen. Yeah. But um, did do point. It was very... It was, you know, point is beautiful, but you've got to be, you've got to be strict. It is a strict form of dance. And if you're not stretching and like practicing your arches so that they strengthen, you're not going to be good at it. And I did not have any interest in practicing my arch strength. And so sure enough, I was, I was, I was terrible. I was terrible at it. (laughs) So which, which, which dance did you really like? Which one did really capture you? And which one did you work? I loved jazz. Jazz. Jazz is more of like the pop side. So we would do like some Beyonce songs and jazz kind of allowed you. I felt like it gave me creative freedom because you could really get into the moves more. So jazz was my favorite type of dance. That's where I really like shined because I could, I could shake my butt more and I could, I could like, (laughs) you know, give it my own little like zhuzh. Yes. Give it a little bit of pizzazz. So what else did you do in... in Exactly, exactly. You don't get to do that in ballet. You don't get to do that. No, no. Ballet is... is Uh, Well, one of the other things, yeah. Yes, it really is. So Um, saxophones... So other things that I did in middle school... um, So saxophones quite a difficult... It is. Um... So how, how did you get on with that? I mean, it is, did, did but you talk once to you parents? figure out, <laughs> um, I think I tortured them in a lot of other ways as well. But yes, yes, I did. <laughs> it was definitely the nice thing about saxophone and flute is it's the same hand positions. So I didn't have to learn a whole lot of new like finger movements, but you do have to learn how to use a reed instrument, which is different and does take some, some time. Um, and I actually caught onto the saxophone more quickly than I did flute. So saxophone came more natural to me. Uh Uh-huh. So uh, I guess you you carried that on until you went into high school then. I did. I did. And I've got a great story for you about my saxophone experience in high school. (laughs) Hmm. So, um, in high school, yeah, I, I, go ahead, go ahead. Let's, uh, let's just finish off in your middle school. So, 
So your worst subject in middle school, which one did you, did you detest going into? Math. <laughs> <laughs> Always math. Still math. Fair one. Always. And what was your yeah, absolute, well, was I, um, absolute best subject then? That's when they actually started to introduce environmental science. So that's when I really started to take off in the science. Mm. And then you, obviously you, you could have carried, or did you carry that on into high school? I did. I did. I, um, in high school, I joined the environmental team. So we actually would get to go out and do these really cool explorations and learn more about how humans affect the planet. So we got to do some really cool experience experiments and experiences with that. Um, so that's when I really dove into the environmental side of the sciences and, um, went on a bunch of trips, joined the Envirothon, which is like a a competition for environmentalists. Um, and yeah, just really dove into that. Mm. So from, from that point of view then, which part of the those studies did, did you find out the most about what impact um, us human beings have on the environment? Um, I think one of the, the one of the conversations that our teacher had with us that really changed the way that I viewed how we affect the environment was specifically talking about the dangers of having farms too close to um, watershed areas because what happens is the fertilizer can run off into the watershed and then cause these like algae blooms in lakes and ponds. And so two of the lakes that we have here in my hometown, one of them specifically has this terrible algae growth in it from all the fertilizer. Same with like the Chesapeake Bay. I believe the type of algae that I now hear since I graduated high school. But um, that really started to to make me realize um, the, the impact that we have on our environment that we don't even think about. So in these, it's really important to keep um, our riverbanks well supplied with like different type of trees so that they, so that those types of, of, um, fertilizers can get filtered out before they go into the water stream. But that's when I, it was very eye opening because I never even would have thought about that. I didn't know that was a thing that like the fertilizer that we're using to grow our vegetables, to feed our livestock is actually affecting our watershed. Mm. Yeah, I guess that's, that's a problem all over predominantly the, the Western world because I don't think the uh, the developing world use so much uh, chemicals or, or fertilizers uh, to, to grow their stuff so and uh, yeah it's yeah. quite an important important aspect yeah especially that that blue green algae that grows in sort of fairly static water yes which is, yes which is pretty nasty stuff. If you if you yeah <laughs> you want to stay out of water if it's doing that so yeah yeah that's really bad in the Chesapeake Bay and mm. go ahead so let's let's move forward and let's have a look about um, your saxophone in high school then let's have a listen to that story. <laughs> 
Um, so that is actually how I became a photographer. Um, so I was in a very, very competitive marching band in high school. Um, we would compete all up and down the East Coast. And so because of that, our practices were very, very rigorous and very structured. And one of the things that we would do at practice is run back to our spots and the, the section that got back to their spot the soonest or the quickest would get an extra 30 seconds of a water break. So there was a lot of pressure to get back to our spots very quickly. (laughs) And during one of these, one of these um, running instances, whenever I was running back to my spot, I fell on my saxophone and uh, cut my spleen in half, like sliced my spleen right in half. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, yeah, it was pretty bad. I was in the hospital in the ICU um, for about five days. And after that experience, I was no longer allowed to march because I had to take a month off for my body to heal. And band is like especially in a competitive marching band, it's almost like a cult. Like you guys, you, you do everything together. Like the, this is your family. It a hundred percent becomes your family. You travel together. So you do dinners together, everything you do together as a band. So whenever this happened immediately, I felt like I had lost part of my identity being taken out of band. So I decided that I was going to still go to the practices. I couldn't march any longer or play my instrument. I was just going to start photographing. So I started Mm. photographing the band and fell in love immediately with, with photography. And so I started photographing the band and then the football players were like, can you come photograph our game? So then I started photographing the football players and then the cheerleaders were like, can you take our headshots for our new cheerleading squad? And absolutely. So then I did that so within you know the first few months I kind of was like the squirm capturing any event that was going on um on school grounds and then um beyond that I started doing you know senior portraits for the graduating seniors and uh had I never ruptured my spleen on my saxophone I would not be a photographer. Mm. So what happened to the saxophone? I mean, did you damage it? Did you, I mean, did they, they, they obviously... It, it Unfortunately, I, I did not. Let you open. <laughs> so yeah. what did they do with that? I, I did not. Um, I actually... You would think I, I should have I should have asked to keep that saxophone so I could hang it in my house. I wish I would have. However, um, I think they went ahead and just gave it to the next person the next year. <laughs> <laughs> Saxophones, um, they're they're very expensive, so I did not damage it. So I'm sure they just held on to it. And the next person that wanted to join band, they're like. Here, there's absolutely nothing wrong with the saxophone. It's definitely not going to try to kill you, or it's it's definitely not cursed in any way. Wink, wink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so, so you never got to see it again, then. So you, you kind of gave up playing all. I never. Or, I never saw it again. 
Um, I did not give up playing. So I still played in concert band and in jazz band. Um, I believe I quit band by 11th grade. So that was 10th grade. So I through the rest of the year for concert band and jazz band. But then after that, I decided it was time, time to find a new hobby. Mm. So that's where the photography thing came in then. So what was your first camera? And was it digital or was it wet film? Ooh. It was digital. It was a Nikon that my parents had. And I think it was like five megapixels. So it was not a great camera. Um, and then once my parents started seeing my interest in photography, they went ahead and got me the the Canon, I believe it was a T. T3i Rebel. So that uh, Canon still makes the Rebel cameras. And so that was my first. Yeah. So that was my first, like it was all mine. That was my first camera. And I used that all through high school until I went to college and upgraded for college. Mm. So was it a, a, an SLR camera or was it uh, with, with different lenses or was it just a, a fixed lens that you could play with? It was an SLR. It, I had different lenses. When I first started, I only had the one lens. But by the time I graduated high school, I think I had one zoom lens and one not like 35, like, I don't know, regular lens. I can't remember exactly the, the, what I had. 3570 is normally a, a standard lens. And then you get the zoom lenses, which are sort of... Um, yeah. 75, 125, something like that. 70 to 200. Yeah. Yep, yeah. Uh Uh-huh. So, let's have a look at... um, Moving on to college, and what camera did you get for college? Oh, man. I think I just got the next level of the the T the Rebel series. I I still didn't have a full frame when I was in college. In our first year in college, we actually were not allowed to shoot any digital. We had to shoot film. So that was definitely an experience. The the first day that we started, they're like, "You will not be touching a digital camera this year. You will only be shooting film." And not only that, you're going to learn how to process your own film and how to work the dark room. And that gave me a whole new appreciation for photography because there is absolutely no feeling in the world like negatives, a photo that you took, developing them, and then watching your photo come to life. It's, I felt like it was magic. Like being in the dark room, I would be in the dark room, um, sometimes a little too long. Um, I, in college, I would, um, stay, (laughs) I would stay until they, the security came and kicked me out. So our dark room was open until 12 PM. And normally I was trying to hide from security at that point because I was not ready to leave. So I really enjoyed processing my own my own photos. So what was your major then in college? 
my major was photography and computer imagery and computer imagery is kind of like a fancy way of saying graph design. So I did, um, my focus was photography and then, um, I did get do a a good bit of graph design as well because I, I fell in love with graph design while I was in college. So what platform did you use for your graphic design work? Uh, I use Illustrator, Adobe Illustrator. Ah, that's one I haven't actually got my head into. I've, I've got it, but I just don't use it. <laughs> it's just, it it takes, takes me a little bit of a while to get into a package. I mean, I'm happy with, with Photoshop, uh, uh, Adobe Audition. I mean, I use that pretty much all the time. And uh, Premiere Pro, where I'm editing my videos. But when it comes to doing stuff in Illustrator, oh, yeah. it, it oh, yeah. just blows my mind. So, I mean, Canva's been... <laughs> it definitely... I've watched a lot of... Canva. Oh yeah, videos, trying to figure out what to do. So YouTube, Mm. I feel like I got half of my degree from YouTube because I do a lot of online education, trying to figure out how to figure, how to, how to manipulate, you know, all these things in, in Photoshop and in Illustrator. Yeah. I think we've all all used that, and and some of us have put a few videos up on how to, how not to do it. I think, <laughs> which which if you haven't seen any of my sort of tutorial type videos, you you wouldn't last long. <laughs> you wouldn't get it at all. <laughs> so, so, second year in college, then did you move on to um, digital work? Yes. Yeah. That's when we were allowed to start shooting digital. Um, and so I had, I had quite a few classes with digital photography and they really, that's when we really started to, uh, get into like the Photoshop side, retouching and, um, how to like manipulate our photos. Mm. I mean, you can, you can go so much into Photoshop, uh, and it can change so much. And um, I, I can remember we were on a, an operation in um, Macedonia and, and I was helping out the, the illustrator um, that we had uh, because my, I, I, was, I was on that, uh, the, uh, the photographer, but I didn't have an awful lot to do a lot of the time, so I was sat on my hands waiting for to get tasks. Um, but we used to take an image, of, say, a black and white photo of, um, say, Casablanca, and then we used to superimpose somebody's face on onto Humphrey Bogart or uh, um, who was who was it? Um, I can't remember her name now. That was in it. So, so you, you'd have the, this, these classic shots of uh, in Casablanca, but you've got people superimposed their faces in in the shot, uh, and it was really fun just trying to match the colour to get that sepia black and white look uh, from a, from a colour yeah. image. Yeah, so so I spent quite a bit of time mucking about with that while I was waiting to get tasked. <laughs> that was all in Photoshop. 
So I guess you, you, Photoshop is very extensive. There's a lot. Um, yes, I, that is what I'm known for. Yeah. Yeah. So my problem is uh, I'm a little bit colorblind. I, I've got color perception three, which is oh, okay. greens and browns. And that can cause a bit of bit of problems when trying to manipulate things slightly. I just, I, I just struggle at seeing those three different colors. They look very similar. Um so <laughs> just trying to get a, a colour match isn't fun. <laughs> I'm sure. I can't even imagine because I, even when I wear like blue light glasses, I can't even wear blue light glasses whenever I edit because it, the it changes the colour so much because it takes out so much of the, the yellows of the photograph. Yeah. So then my photos are, are the colors are distorted. So as much as I'd love to wear the blue light glasses all the time, I can't because it really does affect your, affect your photos. So mm -hmm. I can't even imagine not be, you know, being colorblind. Yeah. It's a, it's not a lot of fun at times. However, having said that, um, also, also colors <laughs> works quite well. <laughs> You put the auto on there and it just does it for you. So that's quite fun. So moving through college then, so your major was uh, photography. The minor was um, illustration, uh, design. Did you have any other, other subjects you were doing in college? I did a little bit of like sociology. I was thinking about changing majors um, partway through college to sociology. I just love how um, I love how people interact with each other. Um, so I was thinking about changing to sociology at one point, but instead I was like, you know what? I just want to get my degree and get out of college and start exploring the world and get like figure out what I want to do past college. So I buckled down, got the photography degree. The, uh, the school that I went to the photography program was very intensive. So there wasn't a whole lot of time for other things. Um, I was in college, I was an RA, so a resident assistant. So I lived in the dorms all four years and, um, was a resident assistant for three of those years. So in charge of managing, um, young college women who were trying to figure out their way and, and um, then I was also part of a group on campus called the Multicultural Leadership Team, which was a scholarship-based scholarship team um, on campus all about um, educating students on diversity. So I was part of that. And then my junior year, I joined a sorority. So I was, I was very involved on campus, very involved on campus. Mm. So you didn't put, get up, uh, get put forward for class president then? I did not. No, I was uh, one of the captains <laughs> of our of our photography team, but no, I I, I stay out of politics. I stay out of politics. <laughs> Fair one. So, um, graduating college. Did, did you graduate with honours or did you just sort of graduate with, with a scrape through? I, oh 
I didn't graduate with a, I did not scrape through, but I graduated. I almost graduated with honors. I was off by 0.2 points on my GPA. Um, so I did not graduate with honors, but uh, I did graduate with having a full ride to college. So that made me happy. I was like, you know what? If I can get, if I had a full ride with my scholarship and got through college, I'm good. Mm. So after college, what was your first job when you left college? Um, I actually, so right after college, I got married too and moved across to Oregon and, um, my, at the time I, so my ex-husband was going to school for nuclear physics in Oregon and, um, I was working at a shop. I did retail a really long time um, because I knew we weren't going to be there very long. So I kind of set the camera down, worked full time in retail. And then after that first year in Oregon, we moved back to the East Coast to right outside of D.C. in a small town called Alexandria, Virginia, where again, I worked retail for two years managing a consignment shop. I'm really in. I'm, I love thrifting and consignment. I think that it's a really good way to recycle. So, uh, I did that. And after about three years out of college, I finally decided to start my own business. Ah. So what was that in? Did you return back to, to photography? I did. I did. So I started uh, my business called Sarah Marcella Creative. And it started the way that I kind of got the word out there is I would go to the dog park and just advertise that I was seeing por- like family portraits with your dogs. I was like, everyone in Alexandria loves loves animals and loves dogs. So I was like, I'm going to go ahead and just start to get my name out there. So I'd go and just sit at the dog park for hours and just offer to take photos of people with their dogs. And that's how it started. And then very quickly it snowballed. Um, I picked up a job with Alexandria Stylebook as their creative director and photographer, uh, which is an online blog and email. Um, so I did that. And then after that, I, uh, started working with a bunch of the boutiques photographing product for them. And, um, within a few years now I shoot for, uh, a couple of publications in DC and Alexandria. Um, my biggest publication that I shoot for in that area is called DC modern luxury. And it's a, it's a, uh, a, a local magazine and then I also shoot for um, Scout Guide, which is like a beautiful, it, it looks like a coffee table book, but it's like, it's advertising for the local business. So the, the business snowballed very, very quickly once I started it. Mm. So you said you got married when you left college. How long did that kind of last? Yes. So the, I was married for five years. Um, and I finally, um, my ex husband is a great man. He's very sweet kind. And I, I, I always loved, but, um, I couldn't 
keep being married to a man. Um, I had a lot of mental health issues um, surrounding the fact that I was I was suppressing such a large part of my being gay. And I finally gave myself an ultimatum in 2017, June, 2017. And I decided I was either coming out that week or I was going to kill myself. I couldn't, I, I had already been suicidal for a long time Hmm. and was really, um, just incredibly, incredibly depressed. And, um, I saw, saw it affecting him as well. Um, I could tell that this was no longer something that I could just keep to myself. And um, so the second option is always there. I can always kill myself, but why don't I try coming out and just see what happens? And so I did and um, moved out pretty immediately from our apartment um, and and got my own place. And my parents came down and helped me move out. They were very, very accepting. I didn't know how they were going to take it. That's a huge reason why I suppressed it for so long. Growing up in the small town of Cumberland, Maryland, coming out wasn't an option in my younger years. So I had really suppressed this so far that I thought that I, I never thought that I'd come out. I just thought that I was always going to be unhappy (laughs) and have to suppress that and pretend like everything was okay. And, um, and so finally I, when I did come out, it was, I have one of the most beautiful coming out stories. Um, I had a whole community support me and I'm very, very grateful for that. Um, but yeah, so that, so to answer your question it lasted five years and then I finally made the decision to come out. Mm-hmm. And when you came out then, because I mean, it's nowadays it's, it's readily accepted across large parts of the world that um, people are gay, uh, and the vast majority of people just don't have a problem with it. So it, it's obviously took you some time to be able to to come to terms with with how you felt and all the rest of it, and and. You said that you had an awful lot of support from um, uh, from people around you, and when you were going through college, then you were obviously in that sphere of um, helping women empowerment and all the rest of it. You could have came out then, and and is there any reason that you didn't do it earlier? Yes. Um, I still even in the college I went to was very, very LGBT friendly. It's known as a very gay friendly school. Um, but I still didn't, I still didn't think that, um, at that point I had already been with my ex-husband. We were together, we were high school sweethearts. So we had been together all through, through high school and then through college. And I, I think part of it was selfishness. I was way too scared, way too scared to come out. And um, I was in love with my ex-husband. I loved him 
just not in necessarily a, a romantic way. Um, but we were best friends and I was also scared of losing him, um, which did happen. So, um, I, he, he has, he meant a lot to me and I thought that, especially in college and just being introduced to it, I was like, well, maybe this will grow out of me. Maybe, maybe that really is just, and maybe I'll eventually get over it, you know? And again, growing up in a small town, like I thought I was going to lose my family and my friends. And I didn't know how people around me were going to accept me. So, um, yeah, I just, I made the decision that in my mind then I was just never going to come out. So, um, again, looking back on it, I don't, I don't regret anything because I think that it's, it's everything happens for a reason. And it got me to where I'm at today. And I would have never have met my unbelievable partner that I have now who I'm madly in love with had I not gone on the journey that I have gone on. Um, but yeah, I just, again, it was fear. I was way too scared to come out. So what advice would you give to anybody that, that has those feelings and what advice would you give to, to them if they're considering um, either taking their life or coming out? I think that the first thing I would say is is definitely look into some type of therapy because I think that if I would have maybe been able to talk to someone through the process, I would have understood what I was feeling and been able to get help sooner. Um, and I think finding a supportive network of people, um, whether that's online, because sometimes you may not have immediate people in your life who you feel are supportive, but there is a lot of help out there. Um, and I know personally for me, whenever I was really struggling with suicide, I did reach out to the suicide hotline, which there's a lot of mixed reviews on. So I'm not going to necessarily say uh, that's the option for everyone, but it did help me through some really difficult mates. And I think that, I think the most important, the, the most important thing you need to do is find a support system. Because once you find a support system and realize that your life, that you can live a healthy, happy life, being the person who you are and being authentically yourself, it's, it's, it's life-changing. So, um, and like I said, I, I know that a lot of people might not have immediate people in their life who can help them through the process. So looking at online forms, um, sometimes there's places in your town that you can go to. I know that there's places in DC that have a lot of additional help. I believe it's called, Oh man, I forget the the name of it right now. I'm blanking on the name, but there's a group in DC that, um, that has like free therapy and a lot. And I'm, and when I say therapy, you paid therapy is great, but I do think that there is free help out there. Your sexuality is much more accepted now. 
Um, but I do understand that it can still be, I mean, I know personally, like it's still very, very scary. Um, so I think just finding someone that you can talk to about it, who isn't going to judge you and is going to sit with you and help you go through those feelings. And as uh, not cheesy, but as, as used as the phrase is, it does get better. I, if you would have told 27 young, 27 year old me that this is a life that I'd have and that I would be dating the woman my dreams, I would have never believed it because I, I had convinced myself at that point that it was never going to be my reality. So, um, I thankfully I was very lucky and I did have people around me. I did have a good support group that I could talk to about the whole process. But had I not had that support group, had I not had supportive parents, had I not had friends who could be there for me, um, I, I wouldn't be here today. And I think that what I'm saying isn't only for those who are questioning coming out, but if you have someone in your life who comes to you holding, like holding safe space for them and allowing them to talk and not judging them for who they are and just giving them, cause it's already, no one chooses to be gay. It's not a, it's not no. an easy lifestyle. It's not, it's scary. So no one's going to be like, I'm just going to try, I'm just going to try it out. Like it's, you know, it's trendy or whatever. No, like if someone comes to you and decides to open up and be vulnerable, listen to them and know that. And the, the number one thing, it's not a phase. It's not a phase. And, um, just be patient and, and what they need more than anything is just support and knowing that you're still going to be there through the entire process. That's sound advice. So, um, let's move on slightly. Let's, uh, where do you see yourself going? uh, So, uh, do you still run your own business and do you employ people in that business? I do run, I still run my own business. It's changed a little bit. So I now have opened up like a side of my business called, I still do, I still do my other photography, my commercial photography, but I now have my business called the booty bus and the booty bus. I travel around the country and photograph women and non-binary individuals. So women and non-binary individuals, helping them come to the camera as their authentic self. That looks like is boudoir has always, traditional boudoir has been known as um, a very like luxurious style of photography. You get your hair done, your makeup done, your nails done, you buy all these fancy outfits, you buy nice heels. And I knew that I wanted to create a different type of boudoir experience. And so for my clients, um, I invite them to come to the camera without the hair and welcome to, if that's what they would like, but I invite them to come to the camera exactly as they are so that, um, the experience can be about loving themselves and the body that they're in. And so with my business, I do no retouching. So, um, I will take out temporary things like pimples or bruises, but I do not part of what, um, 
what's been difficult as an editorial photographer is the re- amount of requests that I get for editing women's bodies and retouching women's bodies. Can you take me in here? Can you take some fat off my arms? Can you take out my double chin? Can you take out my stretch marks? And those are things that as women were conditioned to think are wrong with us, but it's part of the beauty of our bodies. And so, um, I strive to help them understand and love themselves in the moment that they come to the camera and, um, work, work through those different struggles and challenges that they're having with their bodies. And, um, I'm, I'm not an expert on, on body image. I just strive to help them understand how incredible they are for as they are without the retouching. Mm. So rather than sort of do the full on blown um, full makeup, full um, touching up and all the rest of it, you you prefer to come in and, and get the real person rather than the artificial That's, that's how I, I do. I do. And I feel, yeah, I feel like the type of experience that I'm giving these women is more than a photo shoot. It's a, it's exactly what I call it. And, and, experience and all my, all my sessions, um, as I'm traveling across the country, I start my journey this week. Um, I've already come across the Southern States. And so now I'm going North because it's so hot and I'm hitting 12 to 15 different cities. Uh, all the shoots take place in, in nature and, um, each one is every, all of my shoots on the road are pay what you can, because it's really important to me that this, this type of photography I view as it's, it's therapy. It's very healing. And it's something that can be life altering or life changing to see yourself in a beautiful way. So all of my photo shoots for the booty bus on my tour, they're all pay what you can. So there's absolutely no pressure. There's no minimum payment. And, um, I do tell my clients, they're not, allowed to tell me how much they're paying me prior to the shoot because I want everyone to feel like they are getting the full experience of Sarah Marcella. So whether they're paying $50 or $750, every single woman, every single non-binary individual gets the same exact experience. 45 minutes, my best self, and they can either pay me after the shoot or they can pay me when they get their photos. Um, for me, I want them to understand that this is not I'm not in this for, for, um, the finance financial side. I'm in this because I really care about each individual and helping them see themselves in a way that maybe they haven't been able to before. That's fantastic. That's a bit like, um, myself with, with my channel. Um, I'm not in it to make any money. I'm in it to leave a legacy for future generations. And, and I think what you're doing is exactly the same, but helping the current generation to accept themselves. Yeah. So that's fantastic. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Well, Sarah, I think I've, I've enjoyed this. This has been truly, truly humbling. I think that's the word to use, humbling. I think I love your story. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. And I really appreciate you having me on this morning. 
So how can people get in touch with you? What's what's the easiest way? If there's, there's the a young lady out there that, that that wants to to employ your services. Yes. So the best way to get a hold of me, um, you can go to my website, which is www.thebootybus.com. And booty is spelled like boudoir. So it's B-O-U-D-I-E. And then my Instagram is big booty bus. So big B-O-U-D-I-E bus. Brilliant. Well, Sarah, thank you so much. Thank you so much. This has been really wonderful. The Tim Hill Podcasts. Ordinary people's extraordinary stories. Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. If you have the time... You can not only listen to the episodes, but you can also watch all the shows and you'll find the links in the description below. Thank you.